0: Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we are poking a stick in it, turning off autopilot and getting off the hamster wheel. No longer are we going to walk through life wondering where we're going and what just happened. Time to wake up for some intentional and meaningful moments. That's right, intentional. With this new idea, how will you approach each day? Wondering where the time went or finding unique ways to experience, connect, understand, and document? The hamster wheel suggests a whole lot of action but not really getting anywhere. When you sit down at night, after a long day of who knows what, where does your mind go? Glad it's over, or trying to put shape to the blur. Instead of allowing time to slip away unnoticed, let's dig into these questions and add meaning. Ready to flip the switch from automatic back to manual? I read this quote in a book recently. We're young for such a small fraction of our lives, and yet our youth seems to stretch out forever. Then we're old for years and years, but time flies by fastest then. I'm sure everyone is nodding your head, no matter what age you are. We all have 365 days in a year and endless opportunities to find meaning. We also start out with a somewhat blank slate and add experiences and memories as we go. So what stands out? I'm sure your mind goes to major milestones in your life, the new and dramatic experiences of childhood, Everything seeming so much bigger and better. Educational achievements, time spent studying, taking tests, finishing something you started. Career highlights, appreciation and reward. Love and loving moments, relationships, falling in love, traumatic endings and new beginnings. Life-altering events, having a child, losing a parent. Or a loved one. What happens to all the moments in between? Why didn't they make the vault of memories you value? How much of your life was spent waiting and pondering the next meaningful moment? Meek Wyking says there's an art to happy memories you can make more by experiencing more firsts in his talk for ideas.ted.com studies show we're better at remembering the novel and the new so let's use this tendency to add to our storehouse of memorable and meaningful moments ask any older person to recall some of their memories and there's a good chance they will tell you stories from when they were between the ages of 15 and 30. this is known as the reminiscent effect or the reminiscent bump Memory research is sometimes conducted by using keywords. words. If I say the word dog, what memory comes to mind? Or book? Or grapefruit? It's best to use words that are not related to a certain period in your life. For instance, the phrase driver's license is more likely to prompt memories from when you were a specific age than the word Lamp. In studies, when participants were shown a series of cue words and asked about the memories they associated with these words and how old they were at the time of the memory, their responses will typically produce a curve with a characteristic shape, the reminiscent bump. The recency effect, a final upward flip of the curve, can usually be seen too. For example, when asked what memory comes to mind when cued the word book, what people have read recently may pop up more easily than what they read 10 years ago. You can also see the reminiscence effect in some autobiographies, where adolescence and early adulthood are described over a disproportionate number of pages. If you look at Agatha Christie's autobiography, which is 544 pages long, the death of her mother happens on page 346, when Christie was 33. In the period that covers the reminiscent bump in her life, memories fill more than 10 pages per year. In contrast, she sums up the events from 1945 to 1965 when she was aged between 55 and 75 in just 23 pages. A little over one page per year. What do you remember about being 21 or from another year? And how do your memories from different decades compare? One theory behind the reminiscence bump is that our teens and early adulthood years are our defining years, our formative years. Our identity and sense of self is developing at this time. And some studies suggest that experiences linked to who we see ourselves as are more frequently retold in explaining who we are and are therefore remembered better later in life. study found that 73% of people's vivid memories were either first-time experiences or unique events. Another theory is that the period involves a lot of firsts, our first kiss, our first flat or first job. In the happy memory study we conducted at the Happiness Research Institute, we found that 23% of people's memories were of novel or extraordinary experiences. Novelty ensures durability when it comes to memory. Several studies show that we are better at remembering the novel and the new, the extraordinary days when we did something different. One study by British researchers Gillian Cohen and Dorothy Faulkner found that 73% of vivid memories were either first-time experiences or unique events. Extraordinary and novel experiences are subject to greater elaborative cognitive processing, which leads to better encoding of these memories. That is the power of first. Extraordinary days are memorable days. The importance of first also means that, say, if you go to university, you're more likely to remember events from the beginning of your first year than later in that same year. In a study led by David Pilmer, professor of psychology at the University of New Hampshire, participants were asked to describe memories from their freshman year in college. We're not interested in a particular type of experience, he said. Just describe the first memories that come to your mind. The researchers interviewed women who had graduated 2, 12, and 22 years ago from Wesley College in Massachusetts. In the second part of the study, participants were asked to analyze one-by-one each of the memories they had described earlier. The memories were and experiences involved, the impact the event had on their life, both at the time of the memory and also in retrospect, and the estimated date of the experience they remembered. The study showed that the majority of memories took place at the beginning of the academic year, around 40% in the month of September and around 16% in October. These results suggested that the transitional and emotional experiences are especially likely to persist in the memory for many years. That's the power of firsts. In their study, they also found evidence of the power of extraordinary days and novel experiences when it comes to happy memories. That's why you remember every first kiss you ever had, including the very first. More than 5% of all the happy memories they collected were explicitly about firsts. First dates, first kisses, first steps, or traveling alone to Italy at the age of 60 for the first time. The first job, the first dance performance, or the first time you watched a movie in the cinema with your dad. If you want to create a night to remember for your dinner guests, serving them something they've never tasted before might do the trick. New and memorable experiences can also come in the form of food. One person said, When I was 16, I first tasted a mango. It was 1994. I was an exchange student in Australia, and mangoes had not yet been introduced to supermarkets in Denmark, where I grew up. I remember the sweetness, the texture. I remember thinking, Where have you been all my life? It might also be the reason why life seems to speed up as we get older. When we're in our teens, there are a lot of firsts, while firsts at the age of 50 are rare. This is also why studies find that people who immigrated from a Spanish-speaking country to the U.S. have their reminiscent bumps at a different time, depending on how old they were when they moved. If we want life to slow down, to make moments memorable, and our lives unforgettable, we may want to remember to harness the power of firsts. In our daily routines, it's also an idea to consider how we can turn the ordinary into something more extraordinary in order to stretch the river of time. It may be little things. If you always eat in front of the television, it might make the day feel a little more extraordinary if you gather the family around maybe a candlelit dinner. And if you're always eating candlelit dinners, it might be nice to start eating around a movie marathon. Remember, a meaningful moment doesn't have to be something so grand we will be writing about it in the history books. I'm visualizing us sitting there scrutinizing everything we do or wanna do in order to find the meaning. Here, we're talking about intentionally seeking experience. I find that doing something with my hands, creating something, writing something, can make for more meaningful moments. For instance, I love crocheting. Hear me out here. <laughs> Something in my brain finds comfort in a repetitive motion. Another part of my brain is satisfied when I take unformed items and create forms, like fabric into garments or paper scraps into a card, and yarn into a hat, scarf, or blanket. This repetitive motion of winding yarn in different patterns can also create a hat you wear to give you comfort. Joy! Then there is this wire that becomes obsessed with a project, so I've created like a hundred hats. I'm not even joking. But that's okay. Obviously, I don't have a hundred cold children or adults in my family who need hats. So I've looked for other outlets to donate hats. For me, that's meaningful. It didn't start out as a grand gesture to create this meaningful moment. It started out as something to soothe my racing mind and fidgeting hands. I work at home and online. I spend most of my day typing or talking on the phone. Talk about a hamster wheel. It would be easy for that to continue throughout the day, mindlessly making my way to the kitchen to make dinner and then pouring myself into a comfy chair for a night full of easy-to-digest television. Nodding off up to the alarm just to do it all again. It's important for our health and well-being to seek meaning. Will Michael and Sophia Marcola show us how to escape the hamster wheel? Tools and tips from their blog, liveslowrunfar.com. So what is the hamster wheel even? The dictionary hints to an unfulfilling activity leading nowhere. But our modern-day interpretation builds more into it than that. We use the term when we speak of a tiring work routine with little time to do the things we truly love to do. When we feel a bit lost in where we're headed in life. When it feels like all you do is count down until the weekend. When you work tirelessly to bring in money that seemingly disappears into thin air. When you catch yourself daydreaming of a different life. The list can go on and on. If you'd like for more space to breathe, perhaps time to pursue your passions and feel ready for a life of more life, but didn't exactly win the lottery last week, (laughs) can you escape the hamster wheel? Can you design a life of less work and more play without having to risk your own or your family's well-being? Yes and yes. Ultimately, escaping the hamster wheel can be interpreted in many different ways. What is true for one person doesn't necessarily have to be true for another, but you can definitely agree upon a few things. It has a lot to do with ways of cutting or redistributing costs in your life so that you either don't need to work as much as you currently are or can get more true value in your life. And it has a lot to do with finding your thing? What makes you happy? Am I living my life the way I want to? Am I investing my time in ways that fulfill me? Before we dive into some ways of escaping the hamster wheel, here's a short list of helpful tools to get you started with the thought process. Allow yourself to daydream. What are your dreams? What does your dream life look like? What are the things that truly make you happy? Make a list of priorities. Which aspects of your life are negotiable and which ones aren't? Examples include where you live, hobbies, how you eat, various comfortable habits, etc. Ask yourself how you'd live if no one was watching. It's as simple as that. What's the answer? Clear out your home. This serves triple purposes. You'll make a little extra money, you'll be able to visualize how big of a living space you actually need, and you'll be more inspired to change things up in a less cluttered environment. Look into your expenses and make a budget. What are your current monthly costs? Which ones can be cut out? What would be your ideal budget? Leaving the hamster wheel behind is often associated with early retirement, financial independence, a total escape to the rural countryside, and an overall complete life change. But there are endless ways of feeling free. Even if you still work a 40-hour work week, it's much more about being content with your life than it'll ever be about risky stock market investments, never having to work or living remotely. And with that in mind, here is a list of a range of different ways in which one could change their lives in order to feel more alive and free. Could it be time to switch careers? A mighty step in many cases, but perhaps more doable than many might realize. The first question to answer would be, would another type of job make me feel happier and make me feel more free? For some, it's the nature of a certain field that feels too draining and not so much the act of going into the office or working a 40-hour work week. And for those people, a career switch might be the answer. This is a perfect example of how escaping the hamster wheel can be about finding joy and not always be longing for something else all the time. You can feel free, wake up happy, and get a monthly paycheck for sure. It's never too late to switch careers. In many cases, you can do so without having to return to school. But even if you have to, what's a few years at a university compared to the rest of your work life? move to the countryside a fairly simple yet highly effective action is to give up the city life for one in the country how will this help you escape the hamster will? well first of all it'll be much cheaper to live in a rural area than in an urban area lowered expenses mean less work needed to make ends meet a simple equation add to that closeness to nature and more quietness and many common yearnings are being met But it probably wouldn't seem this simple to most. There's definitely a difference between city life and country life. Some of the modern conveniences are not necessarily available. But when you really think about it and you live more expensively in an urban area, are you really taking advantage of everything it has to offer Or, or are you just happy that you have it in case you want to? Hmm. Would moving to the country give you more time to appreciate the quietness and loneliness and uh, appreciate nature and the seasons in a different way? What else might you fear? You could fear the lack of social stimulation. Hmm. Would you be by yourself? Would it be easily to meet people? Uh, could you join groups if you lived in a more rural area that might be readily available in the city? How about lowering your expenses? In many ways, this is the core of the whole concept of leaving the hamster wheel, so it really deserves its own section. Because while it might sound all too easy when put like that, at the end of the day, lowered expenses will automatically open up doors for you to live a freer life. If you need less money to make ends meet, then naturally you'll need to work less, right? Or perhaps continue to work the way you are and bring in the same, but invest the surplus in activities, adventures, and experiences that add to the value of your life. If your work situation actually feels decent and your issue is more that you feel like you're not living life to its fullest outside of work, lowered expenses could mean financial space to take fun weekend trips or start a new hobby or start a garden, whatever it is, room to let those interests thrive. Let's go back to that idea about working less. Could you simply work a little less but remain at your current workplace? Could you look at your finances and see if you could make do with, let's say 80% of your salary? Do you have costs you could cut that wouldn't necessarily affect your quality of life? Or those that would be compensated by that fact that you always have a three-day weekend? The reason why you feel stuck on the hamster wheel could mean that you simply spend too much time at work. Not that you dislike your life as a whole or hate your job. Working a little less could mean more time to do what you love, but also not having the stress when doing that stuff. Let's face it, it's not always about the time to pursue wild hobbies, let your inner artist bloom, or get into mountain climbing. I mean, let's face it, living is a full-time job. It's the home that needs to be cared for, the laundry that needs to be done, the relationships that need to be maintained, the food that needs to be planned, bought, prepared, and eaten, the body that needs to be exercised, etc. Most of us rush around like crazy to fit in 40 hours a week, get some sleep, all that life stuff, every single week. And many of us end up exhausted when trying cutting cost to then be able to cut back on work a bit could mean you have one day a week to take care of normal chores without having to suffer a heart attack it could also mean less stress on your work days because you know you'll have time to clean the bathroom another time which in turn will make you sleep better make better decisions for yourself and perhaps even end up happier in the end and of course It will make you feel less stuck on that hamster wheel. It's not always about leaving all things ordinary life behind and becoming a self-sufficient hippie. It could just be about making a little room in your day-to-day routine so there's time to both breathe, sleep, and think. Doesn't that sound nice? We're so focused on money-making, consumption, and all the grand stuff that we forget a simple thing such as time to sit down to plan for this week's dinner or how to improve the quality of our life. Maybe start freelancing. What could you do? What, what do you do in your line of work that you could actually do for others? Maybe on your own time. It may require a certain amount of self-discipline, structure, and drive, but if those attributes apply to you, then go for it. As a freelancer, you can decide when and how you want to make all of your money yourself. And this is probably the biggest advantage of it all, is just simply owning your time. It can put you entirely in charge of your life, make it possible to work from home, and enable you to find more fun and inspiring things to do. Could you maybe start growing your own vegetables? Hmm, can you grow your own food, save some money, get some fresh air, a workout, some vitamin D as a bonus? The mere act of caring for a patch of land may feel like exactly the break that you need from the everyday work routine. You can get connected with the origin of food, spend time outside, learn new things, and reestablish a relationship with nature, maybe that you've never had. And you could perhaps lower your food expense costs. Hmm. I'm not sure what your food costs look like, but mine could certainly do with a little subsidy from my own garden. What about turning a hobby into something profitable? What else are you really good at? Could you turn that into a business? I started painting furniture lately. Well, it's just really to get up and be more motivated since obviously I already told you I crocheted over 100 hats. I don't know that you could crochet standing up. I guess you could, but obviously it involves sitting for me. But could I sell that furniture? If not, boy, I'll be in trouble. It'll be packed up all around my house. Could you cultivate your own business? Sometimes just the simple thought of working for someone else and feeling as if your role isn't fulfilling... Can make you feel like you're spinning on that hamster wheel. It's all just a grind. Working for yourself is a game changer in that regard. Everything you do, from the thoughts you think to the tasks you carry out to the people you connect with, will ultimately come straight back to yourself. And there's something so inherently satisfying in that. But it's also a little scary. You're solely responsible. If you fail or succeed. But starting your own business doesn't always have to be so grand and big. It could be turning those little sewing projects into your own online shop. It can be trusting your photography skills and shooting a few weddings a year. It could be selling your surplus vegetables. The extent of it spans a spectrum from microscopic to full time. It's all up to you. If it starts out as a small side project, the extra money could maybe enable cutting back on working your normal job. Slowly, it might turn into more than that. Maybe you could just pay for your supplies. Again, it's not always about doing less work, but just as much about bringing more meaning, joy, and freedom into your life. Okay, maybe moving to the country is out of the deal, or even a small town. But how about downsizing? If you're happy where you are and perhaps you live close to family so you'd rather not move, you could downscale. Do you need all the bedrooms and bathrooms you currently have in your house? Or could you do with something smaller? Here, it's important to be honest with yourself. Can you distinguish your true needs from societal expectations? What do we do to show off, and what do we do that we really need to do when no one's watching? Ultimately, everyone wants to be happy. When we feel stuck in the hamster wheel, what we really might be feeling is a lack of meaning and an overbearing sense of stress. Stress related to not having enough time to do the things our lives demand from us, but also stress related to not living up to all of our expectations, just the expectations that the society puts on our shoulders. Those can weigh heavily on us, which means asking ourselves that crucial question of what you would do if no one was watching. The hamster wheel doesn't have to be bad, per se. It can mean steady income, a well-oiled and clearly structured family life, a beautiful home, etc. And if you don't feel a desire to live differently, that's totally cool. Just remember to ask yourself, am I living my life the way I want to? Am I investing my time in a way that truly fulfills me? And if the answers to those are no and no, then perhaps it's time to look at other options. We're all pre-programmed from an early age to think of certain things as attractive and worth striving for. The fancy house, the expensive car, the fat paycheck, and heck, even the busy schedule. And that's what we'd like to change. Where did personal fulfillment, good health, happiness, and time to spend with loved ones go? I love all those ideas, and especially the whole concept of live slow, run far. What's the rush? A friend was telling me about a book he read referencing the 33,000 days the average a person has to live. Whoa. (laughs) Looking at time that way with that perspective is a bit daunting. Already I feel behind the eight ball. But if you could look at your life with a finite sense of time, would that change your outlook? Would that motivate you to live life to its fullest, never wasting a moment? Tim McGraw sings, live like you were dying, which is poignant because most people who are faced with that prospect or have witnessed a near-death experience have echoed that they now view their day-to-day differently and as a result, pack in moments that are meaningful. There are endless quotes about happiness and in the end, what held the most meaning, and they all point to our connections. I'm sure I don't need to point out that these are personal or in- person connections, not Facebook friends or Twitter followers. It's connecting, listening, sharing, understanding, and encouraging the people in our lives. The ones we call our people. And the ones we've yet to meet. Where do you find meaning? What do you consider a meaningful moment? Lachlan Brown gives us the 10 most important things in life for fulfillment and happiness in his article for ideapod.com. So much of our time here on earth is wasted chasing away temporary happiness. We spend entire month's pay on cell phones we'll forget next year. We miss important birthdays because a job that doesn't pay well enough. We... Say yes to too many projects and no to personal projects that would make us happy and fulfilled. Too many of us feel unhappy with the choices we make because we realize they aren't worth it in the end. We drop everything just to get our hands on these new and shiny things, forgetting that real, invaluable possessions can't be bought with money. If you live in an amazing house with no happy family to live with, Can you really tell yourself you live in a home? Stop wasting your time pursuing things that won't reward you with long-term happiness. Money can buy happiness, but that happiness fades away as easily as the cash you spend. So let's walk through these 10 things. They are beyond money and can only be achieved through mindful living. The best part? They're free of charge, and they reward you 10 times over. So number one, healthy relationships. Successful people thrive in the presence of successful people. Don't let gritty businessmen tell you that the road to success can be achieved by stepping on people. There are many ways to achieve great things, and using people at their own expense is not the best way to get there. In fact, it has long been scientifically established that strong personal connections lead to happiness. Not only do they add value to your lives, they make us healthier. One famous 79-year study from Harvard University found that our relationships and the happiness we derive from them are a powerful influence on our health. According to clinical psychologist Sue Johnson, Good relationships aren't just happier and nicer. When we know how to heal relationships and keep them strong, they make us resilient. All these cliches about how love makes us stronger aren't just cliches. It's psychology. Connection with people who love and value us is our only safety net in life. But this means nothing if you lack empathy and emotional responsiveness. Instead of treating life as a race, use social opportunities to create genuine relationships with people. Go for relationships that stimulate your brain and challenge you to become a better version of yourself. We've been trained to think that the only way up is by bringing other people down. It's about time to change that and start developing real connections with people around you. Everyone has their own story. You'd be surprised how similar you are with other people. Number two, family. While it's true that family can be a major source of stress for a lot of people, it can also be a major source of strength. Some families have love-hate relationships, and if you're like most families, you probably have some element of this in your life. But that's no reason to shut these people out of your life. In fact, that's all the more reason to rally around them and celebrate who you are together which is stronger together than apart. Family is one of the most important things you can focus on to help enrich your life and love. Keep this in mind. Family doesn't have to be defined as someone who's a blood relative to you. You do actually get to choose who you call family, despite popular belief. Having a strong connection and support from family is good for your overall health and well-being. According to psychologist John Northman, This idea of feeling connected becomes very reinforcing to all of us, and it contributes to happiness, it contributes to mental health, and it does contribute to overall physical health. It's well known that when people feel better connected, they will feel better physically. They're certainly less likely to feel depressed, or if they do, they're in a better position to get out of being depressed. Number 3. Yourself If we do have a mission in life, I think it has less to do about changing the world and more about honoring the life we have. The first step to do that is by taking responsibility for your own life, your happiness and unhappiness, your fortune and misfortune, and everything that happens to you. In other words, you have your own life to live. And that's the only way you can truly practice self-love. One of the most common pieces of advice is that you have to love yourself first in order to love someone else. It's an easy thing to say, but the reality is it's very difficult to put into practice. The reason why self-love is so difficult? Well, society conditions us to try and find ourselves in our relationships with others. Remember that the kind of relationships you will materialize in your life is exactly the externalization of the relationship you have with yourself. Your loving relationships are reflections of your inner relationship. Learn to be loving, supportive, respectful to yourself and you will materialize the same quality in your relationships. Number four, your friends. With your family in check, it's time to turn your attention to another important part of your life that requires a lot of consideration, your friends. Whether you have one lifelong friend or you have 10 party friends who you share every weekend with, Surrounding yourself with people who mean a lot is important. Friends are more than just companions in our lives. There are confidants, cheerleaders, shoulders to cry on, and they provide couches to sleep on. In fact, they provide so much value in our life that they're just as important as our families. Number 5. Love in all shapes and sizes Fill your life with love that comes in all shapes and sizes. You don't have to be romantically tied to anyone, and you never need to fall in love. You can find love from a variety of sources and be your own source of love. Love yourself before you go out in the world looking for someone to love. As spiritual healer Shannon Peck says, Love gives deeper meaning to everything. When we feel loved, we feel most alive. When we love others, it's as though we've come home. Number six, passion. Nelson Mandela famously said, There is no passion to be found plain small. In settling for a life that is less than the one you're capable of living, life is made more special by our passions, our desires, our dreams, and our hopes. Without passion, we feel fruitless and unfulfilled. Leadership coach and author John Maxwell claims passion the fuel of persistence for its capacity to make the impossible possible. He explains, People are wired so that when their soul ignites, they no longer shrink before the barriers in front of them. That's what makes a passionate leader particularly effective. Number 7. Time and Productivity We have 24 hours a day to do the things we want, but sometimes we feel that this isn't enough time to develop our character and become who we are. In reality, it's not that time just moves too fast. Too often, we spend time on things that just make us go slow. We tend to prioritize things that cost too much energy and have too little payoff. Most thought experts agree that multitasking only bears low productivity and even fewer results. The key to life, then, isn't to do more, but it's to do what you can with the time that you have. According to CEO David Allen, author of the famous book Getting Things Done, much of the stress that people feel doesn't come from having too much to do. It comes from not finishing what we've started. And being productive is the simple solution to all your stress and anxiety about your life's goals. Number 8. Good Health When we're enjoying the peak of our careers, it's easy to forget that we're human. We forget to eat, sleep, work out, and have fun. We forget that we're more than just money-making machines churning dollar after dollar. Too many great people fall into sickness because they didn't bother taking care of themselves. When you spend all of your life working and chasing after success, chances are you're forgetting to nurture your body. Investing energy in proper health can ensure that you will be here a long time and watch your success go into full bloom. Here's a staggering truth. According to the US Department of Health and Human Services, Unhealthy eating habits have contributed to the obesity epidemic in the United States. About one-third of U.S. adults, 33%, are obese and approximately 17% or 12.5 million of children and adolescents ages 2 to 19 years are obese. That's not the only reason for obesity. A lot of people also forget to incorporate physical activity into their daily routines. Which brings me to number nine wellness without a healthy body to carry you through this life it will be difficult to surround yourself with the things you need if you focus on creating a healthy lifestyle for yourself you'll find more passion for your hobbies more love for the people in your life more friends to accept you for who you are and more family to feel connected to wellness doesn't mean being thin or even pretty it means being mindful of how you treat yourself and your body And number 10, reason to live. Your reasons to live are your goals, but not all of your goals can be considered your reason to live. Your purpose is a larger than life phenomenon you have that drives your actions and your principles. It's the reason why you get out of bed every day and why you keep bouncing back regardless of the setbacks you face. A person's purpose takes on many forms. You may want to become a best-selling writer. Maybe you want to be a diplomat. Maybe you want to be an academic and change the way people understand education. Find what your purpose is and you will have unlimited fuel, sharper focus, and a more passionate outlook on life. Share encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self discovery. You can visit encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you make an intentional effort to step off the hamster wheel, to seek meaning through connection, purpose, creativity, and experience collect memories that tell a story of making the most of every moment. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. I stumbled through until the path was clear That's when I found you How I wound up here